Hello and welcome to the ACAST podcast. I'm Christina Ducey and on this episode we'll be unpacking the topic of sickness absence. This topic can be quite a difficult one for employers to navigate so we'll be addressing all the impacts that both long-term and short-term absence can have on businesses. And as always, our guests will be providing you tips along the way on how you can better manage sickness absence and therefore improve your business's productivity. And I really do think I have the perfect guest with me on this episode to discuss this topic. So joining me today is GP and President of the Society of Occupational Medicine, Dr. Shruti Patani. Hello, everybody. We are also joined by the Managing Director of the APE Group, Alfie Payne. Good morning, everyone. And last but certainly not least, ACAS's very own Area Director of the South East, Paul Beard. Hello. So, firstly, when we're talking about sickness absence, I think we have to acknowledge that employers employ people to work. And it's very normal for people to fall ill. So, do you think an effective sickness absence policy has an impact at all on a business's productivity? I'm happy to answer that first. Um, I think it does have an impact on the um, the productivity of the business because it's important to remember that something like sickness feeds into um, wider company culture as well and really sends that kind of message of, of the sort of environment and atmosphere that, that the company are fostering. So, yes, it absolutely does have an impact on business performance through the, through the indirect routes of of sort of embedding into company culture and helping to establish those boundaries and expectations from from sort of that day one of receiving the staff handbook, I think. Perhaps I can add something there. I think that um, the policy, a, good, a decent sickness absence policy, has to be a starting point for any employer, uh, for uh, managers and employees to know where they stand. As Alfie's said, uh, we can't predict every every single situation. Um, but but the the policy is a good starting point and tends to set out the actions to be taken by by the employer when somebody first reports that they're unwell. And uh, we often talk about this in terms of absence, but sometimes it, it it's actually somebody feeling unwell at work as well. I think the the fact that there's pro, there's a process in place and people know what to do helps the with the actual practical management of the situation. Um, which probably in turn helps productivity. But, but but the bigger point around productivity is that employees realise that if they are off sick, that there is a process there, and that process is usually aimed at getting them back to work as soon as they're fit to be at work. May I also add there from um, the other side, I suppose, when, when we see um, employees um, within the occupational health setting, where there is a clear policy, we find that employees, when they come to us, generally know why they are coming to us and they feel that they are being managed uh, in a consistent way with other employees um, and that they are treated fairly and transparently whereas where there isn't a policy we often get people who feel quite ambiguous about why they feel they might have been treated differently from their colleagues so um, from our perspective and from the medical perspective having a clear sickness absence policy is very helpful. 
Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you all. Um, I think, like I said before, it is inevitable that at some point um, people fall ill. So I think taking those productive steps like having a sickness absence policy to help managers manage sickness absence, I think it's just good for business. Yeah, I just think it's just good business. Um, but anyway... I've been reading quite a lot of reports on um, sickness absence and mental health is now the number one cause of sickness absence in the UK. So I was wondering, are you seeing this reflect in your lines of work? So, yes, mental health. Um, I'm, we see much more mental health now than than I ever have within my occupational health practice. Um, and certainly, I think um, over the last couple of years with COVID um, and isolation for some people, mental health seems to be the most prominent cause of sickness absence at the moment. And often what I find um, is that mental health is very much multifactorial. There's lots of things that might have led to the individual feeling the way there are. And of course, there's a whole spectrum of um, mental health conditions from one end where where an individual probably has had mental health on and off for for long periods of time and for those um the support they need and the treatment they need might be very different from those who uh, have mental health that might have resulted say from um environmental issues so that could be personal situation, home situation, work situation. Um, and, and clearly, if there's a potential work-related element, using the HSC risk assessment tool, um, stress risk assessment tool, can be quite helpful in defining what aspects of work might be contributing to um, an individual's sort of mental health Equally, it may well be that um, actually certain personal factors might be contributing, in which case a, a conversation about actually, you know, can I uh, have sort of condensed hours so I've got at least a couple of days when I can pick my child up from school will significantly reduce my stress. So sometimes actually these conversations can help people that are on that spectrum where life factors are precipitating their uh, psychological symptoms. Um, so there's a, a wide range of um, causes and wide range of diagnosis for mental health. And actually, it's a minefield for employers. And, um, and that's when referral to occupational health can actually help. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of um challenges that, that that people face around sort of mental health and performance at work as a result of, of mental health um i think again it looks we need we need to look at um what preventative actions can organizations be taking um outside of of uh, just reacting and supporting when there is a sort of mental health issue obviously we can't prevent everything from happening but what we can do is try and support as best we can so for example at the age group all of our employees have access um, if they're needed to coaching, counselling and mentoring, fully paid for by the business um, and they're allowed to do that during work time in order to sort of talk through any sort of personal or career type issues um, in and above the sort of standard sort of employee helpline. Thanks for that, Shruti and Alfie. Um, 
Now, Paul, are there any overall good practices that employers can do to better manage short-term sickness absence? So I think one of the, the key things that employers do that I think work well around short-term uh, unexpected unplanned sickness absence is ju- just simply being in contact with the employee at the outset and uh, working out what's going on and coming up with a plan of action. Um, while, of course, having regard to the fact that the employee may be too unwell to be having an in-depth discussion about work is, is, is really important in managing that first stage and setting the expectation that actually uh, we, we want you to get better, but we also need you back as, uh, as, sort of as soon as you're fit enough. Great. Um, so now I'd actually like to steer the conversation a little bit towards long-term sickness absence, um, because I think that's where some of the difficulties with employers lie. And I can imagine it being really hard for employers because they do sympathise with the employee struggling with a chronic health condition or an unexpected illness. But they also have to deal with the financial burden and all the other things that comes with um, that employee being off sick. Um, So Shrew team, what is the role of an occupational health provider? And when should an employer approach one when dealing with long term sickness absence? The role of occupational health, if we start there, really, is um, to advise the employer on um, the likely length of sickness absence, uh, what support the individual might need when they first come back to work. Um, Sometimes a person might have a condition where it's possible to predict a length of sickness absence sometimes it's not and mental health is a a good example of where it's more difficult to say how long an individual might be um, off for so really when we look at um, an occupational health assessment what we do is um, look at the biopsychosocial model so we're looking at the individual Visual, physically, psychologically, um, and translate that into what they are able to do when they are back at work, how long any adjustments might need to be in place to support that individual. And on the actual rare occasion, it may be that an individual becomes permanently unable to do the job for which they're employed. So when I get referrals from employers, giving us as much information as they possibly can. So um, how long the individual's been off sick, for example, um, what the fit notes have said as the reason for sickness. Have they kept in touch with um, the employee or has the employee kept in touch with them? Um, What I find sometimes is that where we haven't got um, an informed referral, we can only uh, use the information we have. So uh, unless the employee tells us what the issues have been at work and unless the employer has also given us the full picture, we might only have one side of the story. And then it's very difficult to be objective um, and provide information to the employer that's actually useful. I think just to add to what Shreet is saying, I, um, I encounter quite a few employers who say things like, 
well, we've been to occupational health, and when I ask them exactly what that meant, uh, what they mean is that they've done some very vague referral, which doesn't ask any specific questions. And uh, poor old Shruti and her colleagues are expected to come up and guess what the employer was actually asking. So employers need to think about what they actually want to know from occupational health. They need to be asking questions such as, can you, um, can, can you tell us about this individual's condition? What adjustments might we need to help them uh, improve or work successfully in the workplace with the condition that they're suffering from? Uh, and, and, of course, in the most extreme cases, the, the question that I think employers sometimes shy away from around whether the individual actually can either come back to work or, or continue to work successfully in their role. And then the employer getting all of the process around that right is, is really important. I think I'd also just just on that give a comment on accessing um, occupational health and sort of the processes involved because um, I think you know talking to sort of um, other business owner colleagues um, and also reflecting on my own um, experiences of where of where occupational health could have been useful um, it's not entirely clear always where to go how to go there is this going to cost my company money there's a lot of sort of questions there that that I think um, it can it, it can be sometimes quite challenging for smaller employers to access um, services like professional health. Yeah, that's a really good point there, Alfie, that um, maybe small businesses might not see occupational health as um, for them. Um, so, Shruti, whilst we have you here, um, do you mind addressing some of the points that Alfie um, has brought up? Uh, that's a, another big can of worms there. Um, so yes, it's it's very uh, I have to acknowledge very difficult actually for small employers at the moment to to access occupational health. Um, there are different routes um, that potentially can be helpful, um, but but no clear pathway. Um, to, to access occupational health at the moment. Um, so there's an organisation called NHS Health at Work Network, and um, they have a, a list of all the NHS occupational health services across the country and across England. So if you um, uh, are looking for an occupational health service, if you go onto their website, they'll point you to the nearest occupational health service in the NHS. Um, however, NHSOH services are also quite stretched, so they may or may not be able to take the referral. There are multiple private providers as well, and you can um, pop that into Google um, and uh, actually access a private occupational health provider. Um, and that, uh, and, but it's going to obviously cost money um, to do that referral. So I, I do appreciate and I don't have an easy answer for you, although I can say that um, in the background, we are actually looking at provision of occupational health um, actually universally to all employers. Um, and um, that's some work that's going on in the background um, at the moment, but still in its infancy. So watch this space. There is, of course, um, access to work, and that's uh, 
a, a government organisation where individuals can contact Access to Work and um, a disability employment advisor who um, can come into the organisation to give advice. I have to be clear, it's not an occupational health service, but the disability employment advisors um, do have um, experience on sort of workplace adjustments and they can also support uh, employers with financial support as well uh, for the cost of those adjustments and disability employment advisors can be contacted at Job Centre Plus and that's completely free to the employer. The only caveat is that the individual needs to have a condition that's sort of classed as a disability. Um, so if you feel that your employee has a disability or they think they do, then they should contact the Disability Employment Advisor at Job Centre Plus and they will then have further conversations with your employee. Thank you for answering that, Shruti. Um, that was really informative and you've listed some really great resources that I'm sure the small businesses that are listening would find really helpful. So yeah, so another area of concern for employers, and this can actually be quite a sensitive one, um, is the question of when is it okay to dismiss an employee on long-term sick leave? I think this must be one for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's often quite a sad situation when uh, when it comes to this question because um, you know usually people have worked with an employee over over a long time, uh, and very often when someone's off with uh, with ill health. Uh, in the long term, their conditions usually more more serious or more challenging, and uh, and, and colleagues are often upset around the the question of perhaps losing a, a valued member of the team. So, uh, if uh, the the first thing is is it's really important to have that occupational health advice around their likelihood to uh, to, to improve their, whether there are adjustments that can be made that will allow them to continue working. If um, that's absolutely un untenable, then we move into the field of capability where effectively an employer needs to um, apply their capability policy, they, which will typically say something like um, being in contact with the employee, explaining what the issue is, um, inviting them to a meeting to uh, discuss uh, options that, that, that may be alternatives to them being dismissed but ultimately uh, if if uh, someone's unlikely to improve to a point that they can do their their full normal job and if an employer can't accommodate the the changes that might need to be made uh, in order for them to do their job then if an employer doesn't have an alternative for them to go to um, that that's the kind of situation where sadly uh, it may be necessary to dismiss an employee but it's really important to follow all those steps in the capability policy uh, through the through the employer's dismissal process um, because if, if they get them wrong then they can end up with a with a claim against them and in in tribunal and and, and all of the uh, issues which that causes and actually um paul i just wanted to ask like um what if an employee keeps taking sick leave? Um, how should an employer manage this? And is that grounds for dismissal? 
It can be. It's very important to look at each case on its own merits around um, repeated sick leave. So, you, so you, someone may have a condition which flares up on, on a frequent basis and leads to uh, lots of periods of perhaps slightly shorter sickness, which can be quite disruptive for an employer. And I come back to that question of what, what the employer having to ask themselves, can I, can I actually bear um, this uh, pattern of sickness absence or not? And actually, it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's um, a number of days over a period of time or whether it's extended sick leave over, over months. It comes back to that question of can the employer actually employs business uh, where where that pattern of sickness absent? And once they've asked, answered that question, then they can move into um, the, those processes that I was talking about, which could ultimately lead to somebody being dismissed. What's really important uh, is not to rush into uh, to, to a dismissal. Though it's really, it's really important to think through all of those issues that I've been talking about, seek advice from occupational health, and then apply the procedures properly. Thank you for that, um, Paul. Um, so one of the last parts of um, sickness abs- of the sickness absence process is um, returning back to work. And, um, and employees can often feel anticipation when returning, especially if they've been out for a long time. Um, so what do you think are the key ingredients to a good return to work policy? Um, I think going back to the earlier point is actually about um, uh, keeping in touch regularly with the employee who is off sick um, and actually inviting inviting them to come in whenever they can um, to keep in touch with their colleagues um, and also um, you know as I, I, I've always advised people who are off long-term sick and um, when I see them in occupational health and advise the, the manager that actually might be quite nice for the individual to come in and um you know, come and meet the colleagues, just have a cup of tea or coffee um, if they are able to. Uh, and I think that's really important. Um, the employee feeling empowered that actually the job they're going to be doing when they first come back. So the adjustments that are put in place are adjustments that that is going to facilitate their return to work. So, for example, it might be something very simple, like somebody who's been off, say, with back pain for a while. When they first come back to work, it may well be that actually they can't travel at peak times because they may not get a seat. So, you know, it's that can they come in a bit later for the first couple of weeks so that they can get a seat on public transport um, and you know they might work reduced hours as another example just to get them back into the work routine so it's also giving the individual confidence that actually the return to work plan that's made for them they they are likely to be able to to manage thank you um, and Alfie, are there any good practices or reasonable adjustments which has helped reduce sickness absence in your business? I think it's about um, being firm, fair and consistent as, as sort of always in leadership and management. But it's about sort of being really clear um, on what is what is appropriate um, for the individual case. And it's going 
looking outside of that sort of uh, this is what the you know the handbook says it's it's really taking that specific um, case by case basis not just on you know sickness but also across other types of leave across um, you know bereavement paternity um, maternity shared parental leave whatever it is it's really sort of making sure that we're looking at it on a case by case basis. Um, and also, you know, doing what you can throughout the culture to to make sure that people recognise and understand that if you are ill, you are ill, and 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 you know the business will function without it, and and you know your health is your number one priority. Thanks, Alfie. So, um, as a whole and overall, what are the biggest mistakes that employers make regarding sickness absence, and what can be done to fix them? I think the uh, the biggest mistake that I see. Uh, with employers is just losing contact with somebody who's off sick over an extended period of time. Uh, It's a huge mistake because actually the employee feels um, a bit neglected. So so establish a contact routine and make sure that it actually happens. And and I have one final bit of advice that I I would add actually uh, that Often people have conditions and situations that don't quite work. They're not a perfect fit with those policies and procedures. So if as an employer you're struggling with how to apply those in a given case, then please do actually seek advice from organisations such as ACAS because uh, we recognise that that the complexities of life often go a bit beyond a perfectly drafted policy and we can help you apply them in ways which will hopefully keep you out of trouble. I think Paul said it all there. It's um, actually about um, that keeping in touch, communication, following your own policies and processes. Yeah, I mean, communication is so important. I think that's what's helped me have a good relationship with my manager. So once again, thank you for answering that. And I think that is a great point to end on. Um, This has been such an informative episode, and I hope that everyone listening has found this really helpful. So I'm going to end this by thanking you all for joining me today. No worries. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Thank you, Christine. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you. Well, this has been the ACAS podcast. For more information on how you can better manage sickness absence in your workplace, please visit our website at acas.org.uk. All related links will be included in the episode notes below. Thanks for listening.